privilege. Quick point um, of personal privilege. Yes. Be honest, I, I don't know most of these guys. This is Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, I am going to mispronounce this young woman's name, and I apologize in advance for that because I admire her a great deal. Uh, she is Olukemi Olufuntu Badnock. That's a heck of a name. She is a British conservative politician, a member of parliament. Um, uh, she was born in Wimbledon to parents of Nigerian origin and has uh, risen up to become one of the leaders of that country. Um, and I'm told, at least in this tweet, that she is the e- equalities minister or, or something. Yeah. But she took the floor of uh, parliament and, and had something to say about uh, critical race theory and the rest of it. Um, do we have that handy? What we are against is the teaching of contested political ideas as if they are accepted facts. We don't do this with communism. We don't do this with socialism. We don't do it with capitalism. And I want to speak about a dangerous trend in race relations that has come far too close to home to my life. And it is the promotion of critical race theory, an ideology that sees my blackness as victimhood and their whiteness as oppression. I want to be absolutely clear. This government stands unequivocally against critical race theory. Can you stop that? Because Chris Wallace should have jumped in there. With Joe Biden to say this isn't happening anywhere. Yeah, what's wrong with uh, racial sensitivity? Yeah. Why training? are you against racial sensitivity training? It, it, yeah, that was a horrible moment. I'm sorry if it wasn't set up to uh, to pause. Are we able to no. join again? No, I ruined. What it. we are against is the teaching of contested political ideas yeah. as if they are accepted facts. No kidding. We don't do this with communism. We don't do this with socialism. We don't do it with capitalism. And I want to speak about a dangerous trend in race relations that has come far too close to home to my life. And it is the promotion of critical race theory, an ideology that sees my blackness as victimhood and their whiteness as oppression. I want to be absolutely clear. This government stands unequivocally against critical race theory. Some schools have decided to openly support the anti-capitalist Black Lives Matter group, often fully aware that they have a statutory duty to be politically impartial. Black lives do matter, of course they do, but we know that the Black Lives Matter movement, capital B-L-M, is political. I know this because at the height of the protest, I've been told of white Black Lives Matter protesters calling, and I'm afraid, uh, I apologize for saying this word, calling a black armed police officer guarding Downing Street a pet. That is why we do not endorse that movement in on this side of the house. It is a political movement, and what would be nice would be for members on the opposite side to condemn many of the actions that we see this political movement instead of pretending that it is a completely wholesome uh, anti-racist organization. There is a lot of pernicious stuff that is being pushed, and we stand against that. We do not want to see teachers teaching their white pupils about white privilege and inherited racial guilt. And let me be clear, any school which teaches these elements of critical race theory as fact, or which promotes partisan political views such as defunding the police without offering a balanced treatment of opposing views is breaking the law. Well, I'm on my way to London if they'll have me. Sanity. That woman has more balls than a hundred American male politicians put together. That's great stuff. Teaching critical race theory is fact. Inherited racism. And thank you for calling it out for its Marxism. It's, That's something. It, yeah, that that is that is so good, and I admire her courage in saying that. It's I, so insidious. I'm glad the reality of what CRT critical race theory is made it to England. I wish it would make it to 
Well, Donald Trump understands it enough to uh, to to you know take try to take it out of the schools and out of the government. But I wish he could explain it better during the debate. Right. I wish for people who yes. don't understand what it is. That would be very helpful. Chris Wallace didn't know what it was. He clearly didn't know. What well, it was. and he he thought he knew well enough that he opposed the discussion. He took the other side. He advocated for it, which was unbelievable. It's uh, uh, interesting to me how consistent human nature is that you have woke. 22-year-old white girls in Britain screaming at, if you missed that, black cops guarding 10 Downing Street, where the prime minister lives, being screeched at by woke 22-year-old white people that their pet enters. Holy cow. And y'all are saying, yeah, 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 we need to teach our children to to be anti-racist because you think you know what it is. Those are the anti-racist people saying that? Yeah, exactly. They're anti-racist. Interesting. So one of my favorite things that James Lindsay says, the professor who might be the world's leader in calling out critical race theory, um, and this is about the two plus two equals five movement or the defund the police nonsense or the don't give grades to kids right. movement. Grades or are oppression. You're going to send them out in the world not knowing anything. Reality bats last. No oh. matter what you do, reality bats last. Oh, that is that. so good because oh, it's so true. You can claim all kinds of crap, and you can make as thoughtful, a complicated, a PhD-level argument as you want. And you can get as many people as you want to go along with it. But reality bats last. And if kids don't know how to read, they don't know how to read. Whether you, uh, you know, let them through because of systemic racism or not. Or you can claim 2 plus 2 equals 5, but it don't. And you can get rid of police, but things ain't going to work out. Reality bats last. The the Mookie Betts of the early 70s on the left, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who was a a lion of uh, liberals at the time, uh, commissioned a gigantic study of how the great society programs of uh, LBJ were working, how the the government dependence-related massive uh, social programs of that period how they were doing, what results they were actually yielding. He wanted reality to bat last, and then he wanted a report on, you know, how reality did. And his report was scathing. It said these programs are disintegrating families. They're encouraging dependence. They're doing the opposite of what we want them to do. But that report was widely ignored because it became clear, I'm going to bottom line it for you because we're limited in time, but they decided, well, as long as we're giving these people stuff, um, they're going to vote for us. So we'll just keep it going. Yes, it's disintegrating the black family. It's yielding horrific results for black children. It's, it's doing the opposite of what we intended, but it's working politically. It's one of the great sins uh, ever committed by a group of people in the United States, to my mind. So on the critical race theory, one of the things I don't know is that woman in Great Britain, did she get any pushback from that, or was everybody in agreement? I, was, I wasn't I was hearing the usual screaming at her from the floor. Uh, is there mostly agreement in the government that we're not going to allow critical race theory to be t- you know used in our government? She's calling out the other side, and I don't know the answer to your question. It was, uh, I just saw a fairly tight shot of her giving that speech on video, obviously, and... Um, 
and there weren't it wasn't one of those jammed sessions yeah. where they all throw questions at the prime minister okay because of covid it's a much less packed house good point. Yeah. Yeah, obviously good point. obviously yeah. only an idiot wouldn't have thought that through but i didn't think it through. Um, yes but you're our idiot um uh the reason the, the one of the reasons i I want to keep an eye on this. If Biden wins and the Dems take the Senate, how soon does critical race theory come back into government training or become of the official, you know, public school doctrine all in, across this in, country? In January. You think so? Yes. Yeah. God, I, 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 I hope some it, it, smart people get to Joe Biden. Explain to him what it was. I, I can't blame him for not knowing, I suppose. At which at point? At his age. At which point? Right. Right. Plus, plus, like Chris Wallace and and old liberals, they hear racism and they think of racism. They don't think of a Marxist uh, movement that's trying to end the free market and education, change the Constitution, the rest of it. They think the words still mean what they used to I mean, mean. Tell a bunch of white little kids in school that they're racist. What could be more awful than that? I know, it's terrible. It's awful. And then convince the little black and brown kids that those other kids are racist. And they hate you. And their you. parents are racist. Right. And they're the reasons any bad things happen in your life. Right. And How they're the reason. They're the reason you should give up. How awful is that for society? Right. Unless we can tear down the Constitution. Uh, well, and when that happens in January, I hope there is an enormous movement of people taking their kids out of public schools. And I hope there is an enormous movement of uh, charity-supported, contribution-supported private schools. I would gladly give a chunk of my income to start, grow, establish, whatever, schools that teach what ought to be taught in schools and not Marxist politics, even though my kids are grown. I would happily contribute to schools like that. I would... I would I would teach at them so that good American families wouldn't have to go broke sending their kid to some $25,000 a year private elementary school. That might happen. I hope it happens. I hope it doesn't have to happen. But if it happens, we, the people, need to take take control. Are we posting the British woman at armstrongandgetty.com? Working on it right now. Excellent. Because a lot of people on the text line say they want to see that or hear that again. Send it to everybody you know. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. So Nancy Pelosi went on CNN yesterday hoping for softball questions and a chance to well, just... Well, why uh, wouldn't she get that? Why wouldn't she expect that? Basically say out loud her um, her talking points unchallenged. But that's not the way it went with one wolf blitzer. Oh, will not let it go for so, the first time in years. The topic was, why aren't you getting a stimulus package through? I mean, there's a lot of people hurting out there. They need the money. Right, and strike uh, a compromise. People are hurting. Exactly. Excuse me for Let interrupting, go Ma- Madam Speaker, mm-hmm. but they really need the money right now. Uh, and even members of, I of your own, that, but, your, if, if, but even if members you of your own caucus, even members of your own caucus, Madam Speaker, uh, want to accept this deal. One point eight trillion dollars. Congressman Ro Khanna, for example. Let me just quote Ro Khanna, a man you know well. I assume you admire him. He's a Democrat. And he just said this. He said people in need can't wait. Until February, $1.8 trillion is significant and more than twice the Obama stimulus. Make a deal. Put the ball in McConnell court. So what do you say to Ro Khanna? What I say to you is I don't know why you're always an apologist. And many of your colleagues apologize for the Republican position. <laughs> 
Good Lord. She's describing CNN. <laughs> it is time to put Aunt Nancy in the home. CNN are apologists for the Republicans? So the, that back and forth went on for what is some of the longest minutes on TV, where they <laughs> clearly are just uh, getting more and more agitated. Well, she is getting more and more agitated with being questioned. And here's uh, the... And the, in the video, I would point out, she is physically vibrating with anger. And uh, here's how it wrapped up. Speaker, these are, these are incredibly difficult times right now, uh, and we'll leave it on that note. Thank you so much yeah. for joining us. No, we'll leave us. it on the vote that you are not right on this, Wolf, and I hate to say that to All you. Right. But I feel confident about it, and I feel confident about my colleagues, and I feel confidence in my chairs. And it's not about me. It's about millions of Americans who can't put food on the table, who can't pay the rent. And we represent them. And we represent them. Getting by these long food lines that we're seeing. I know you are. We know them. I'm I'm just saying. We represent them and we know them. As we We say. We know them. We represent them. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, as they say. It is nowhere near perfect. Madam Speaker. Always the case, but we're not even close to the good. All right. Let's see what happens because every day is critically, critically important. Thanks so much Thank for joining us. Thank you for your us. sensitivity to our constituents' needs. I am sensitive to them because I see them on the street begging for food, begging for money. Madam Speaker, thank you, you so much. Have you fed them? We feed them. We we'll, feed them. We'll continue this conversation down the road for sure. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Wow. That is Marie <laughs> Antoinette on steroids. That you, is amazing. Have you fed them, Wolf? <laughs> is, is soon <laughs> some good stuff. Do I represent them, Nancy? <laughs> good one. A, uh, a, a quick explanation of something. As soon as you understand this, you will understand politics a lot better. We've talked about this before. Politicians will yell and yell and yell about solving an issue. But the last thing in the world they want to do is solve it because you won't go vote if it's solved. They would rather have the issue than solve the issue. Nancy and the Democrats have gambled that if you are starving and desperate, they can blame Trump and and the Democrats will win the election. They have it within their power easily to get giant checks out to everybody. Actually, six weeks ago, they could have done it and compromised with the Republicans. But they're gambling that they can have the issue for the polls. But they it's way too long a period. It's way too obvious. At the point that Wolf Blitzer is saying, what are you doing? You have really overreached. I wonder, is there any chance... So Trump gets elected and there are a lot of people on the right that on the right that don't like Trump and and you know journalists, magazines, people that have been writing conservative stuff for decades. Some of the biggest heavyweights in America that are fully part of the resistance to Trump on mm-hmm. the right because they're unhappy with what their party has become in Correct. their eyes yep. mm-hmm. and uh and they and they and they and they they're, they're more true to con- like conservative principles than they are to a party or a particular guy. Could that be happening on the left as it becomes more clear to them anyway? And the polls would lead you to believe that the Democrats are about to have a big win. Is there starting to be a, you know, the way the National Review has been beaten up on Trump, is there going to be CNN or MSNBC or somebody on the left saying, okay, now we're in charge. You guys need to get your act together because this is a bunch of crap. It's entirely possible. Could that happen exactly the same way? I would hope so. Yeah, I hope there are people standing up for principle over election. Maybe maybe that's going to happen. Okay, you won because there are enough people that hate Trump. But here's what you need to actually do. Maybe that's going to happen. I don't know. Right, right. Well, I just think it's notable when, when the folks at CNN are in the face of Nancy Pelosi 
calling her on her ass. I, I think it's notable, and I credit Wolf Blitzer, who I've I've said uh, terrible things about through the really unforgivable, cruel, cruel things about that sort of thing should be the default on news. It should happen you, so often. They should they should not be looking forward to an interview. They should be worried and need yeah. to have their ducks in a row. So yep. right, they it's, ought to have their talking points arrayed in front of them and be on their the the, the balls of their feet. It should happen so often with yeah. the, the 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 people that control all of our money. And and uh, and all of our uh, freedom, as we found out during the pandemic, um, but it doesn't happen very often. Um, Evidently, it's like you run into your doppelganger in the airport. Apparently, Wolf Blitzer's two brain cells ran into each other in his skull. <laughs> wow! And generated an idea. He did good job. We don't need to bring yeah. up the fact that he finished with negative dollars on the children's version of Jeopardy. We don't even need to mention that in this segment. You're right. We should probably leave that out. I'd like to know the backstory on that because I mean, he bordered on disrespectful for the house. The Speaker of the House of Representatives and and talking over and interrupting stuff like that. I don't have a problem with it, but no, I mean, he was, she's working for him. He was into that territory of like fully in her face. Good, we need more of that. I agree. Yeah, but you, what, I what, what happened saying. to get from usually just letting people say what they want to there? That's that's something from worshipful to that. Well, Wolf was around when CNN was a serious news network. And I think he has a shred of pride. I wonder if they had a meeting last week or something like that. And that's why Jake Tapper is like, wait a second, a poll is not the Constitution. I don't think you know what unconstitutional means. I mean, <laughs> that is quite a coincidence. <laughs> that's awesome. Two anyway. really notable standing up and, and, and growing spine uh, incidents. Wow, that's really encouraging. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. On this cuties um, controversy, it's this movie on Netflix. Uh, it's funny, I was on Netflix a, a number of times over the weekend, and you know they feed you the newest stuff in previews, and this one wasn't on my feed for some reason. I wonder if they're kind of keeping this one on the down low, I... as opposed to really pushing it toward you like they are the new Cobra Kai show or whatever. Sure, yeah, I think that's, uh, that is uh, perhaps the case. It's about an 11-year-old girl from uh, Senegal. She's an immigrant to to France. She's uh, trying to find her place uh, growing up in a poor suburb of Paris. Her family, strict observant Muslims. Her, her world, her school, the girls she befriends, uh, very much secular. And it's about her, her struggles. But one of the things, one of the main plots of the movie is she joins this dance team that does very disturbingly sexual dancing for little girls of that age. Okay? And so well, if, it, if it were 25-year-olds, I wouldn't want my kids to see it. <laughs> well, no, in the movie's not for children. And that kind of gets to one of my problems with with it is the marketing of it has just been so strange. Reminds me of the uh, what was the the dog gets cancer movie? Me and Marley and me. Mm -hmm. was, Spoiler alert. Well, it was marketed as a, a a comedy romp. Jennifer Aniston and her cute man have a puppy, and then the dog ends up dying. Every person leaves the theater just bawling their eyes out. Right? Yeah. What what did you just dupe me into? Anyway, peeled Sharpays. The the marketing. <laughs> The marketing of this is, um, it's like the young girl finds herself through dance and learns to fit in and blah, blah, blah. 
But so uh, then I saw a different uh, trailer that was incredibly disturbingly sexual with these little girls. And so uh, people are, are, are dropping their Netflix contributions. Uh, I'm sorry, they're, I'm reading as I'm talking. Their subscriptions, they are uh, demonstrating, writing letters, etc. Um, and it's, it's, it's become a thing, as the kids say. Now, here it gets really interesting. We got this note from uh, Julie, um, who'd been reading about it, had watched the trailers and the rest of it, and the French view is ignorant and tolerant Americans who haven't even bothered to watch the film are calling for it to be censored as child porn, when in fact the whole point of the movie is to shine a light on the hypersexualized world that young girls are growing up in. So she watched it. The point of the movie is we're sexualizing little girls and it's sick. Okay. But as uh, Molly Hemingway of, uh, what's she, The Federalist? Mm-hmm. Um, as she tweeted over the weekend, stop telling me I have to watch child pornography to understand how bad it is, essentially. <laughs> so... I find myself, I was thinking, I was trying to think yeah, honestly about this. There's a bit of trying to have it both ways there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, like a, a Taxi Driver, legendary movie from very early 70s, Robert De Niro. It's it's how Robert De Niro became a big thing, unfortunately, and we're still living with the awful after effects. <laughs> but one of the main plot points of the movie is he decides to rescue this, what is she, 14-year-old, 12, 14-year-old Jody prostitute, Jodie Foster. Um, her emergence, not nearly as unfortunate as De Niro's, uh, but she was very sexualized in the movie. And part of it was to show how sick that whole world is. So uh, I don't, I don't have any desire to, uh, I'd have to to watch watch the show. It's all about the execution. Right. Uh, let me read to you a little bit of what Julie said. Uh, So I watched it, and here's a review. As a film, well, if you're into indie films, i.e. slow-paced and kind of depressing, it's all right. As a polemic, I'd say American shock value marketing is 95% responsible. Okay. Uh, The film itself is centered more on the protagonist coming to grips with her strict polygamist Singhalese family and finding her place in Western society. The dancing accounts for maybe a grand total of six minutes of the film. Are the crotch shots and hypersexualized choreography disturbing? Absolutely. But that's exactly the point the director is making. It should make us super uncomfortable, but it is happening. No one who actually watches the whole film could come away feeling like the dancing in the clip you saw was being glorified. These girls from the poor um, neighborhoods of Paris are a mess from the outset, and you try to root for them, but they make such bad choices over and over. It's like watching a slow-motion train wreck. The movie is meant to be a precautionary tale, not an inspirational dance troupe film, okay. as Netflix posters might suggest. Okay, I get it, and it could be something I'd really like. Um, yeah, I don't like the way it was pitched. To who are you trying to lure in with that pitch? I guess you know, pedophiles and people who like to watch little girls dance. Um, should it be banned? I should think not. The film is simply holding up a mirror to the society your kids are growing up in. Yeah, I get it. <clears throat> I see 11-year-old girls, uh, you know, at a grade school dressed in ways that uh, 11-year-old girls didn't dress when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if we're going to start censoring something, it should be the Cardi B's and WAPs out there. 
The WAPs. Um, should Netflix be boycotted? Probably not, but they do deserve a slap for the way they marketed the film in English. If it weren't for that poster and dance clip, the film probably would have just passed quietly into art, 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 art house obscurity. Um, in summary, be thankful that your little girls have already grown up. Yeah, I am, in a way. Thanks, Julie, for that uh, well-considered note. The perfect thing right now would be some transition music. Tucker Carlson, uh, and he's a very smart guy. Sometimes I disagree with him. Sometimes I think he's over the top. Um, but he did a feature last night. It was quite long. Um, but it, it had to do with big tech and their desire to censor their platforms to avoid any misinformation about the COVID. And what a horrible job they're doing. Just utterly indefensible. Uh, we'll go ahead and, and run you just a little excerpt, then we can talk about it ourselves. But uh, I definitely recommend you go to foxnews.com or whatever and watch the whole thing. But here's a little of Tucker. The truth is, and you know it if you've watched carefully, experts have been wrong frequently throughout this pandemic. At one point, they told us not to wear masks. Now they tell us we must and so on. They have changed their prescriptions many times. Most of these are not bad people. Most of them are trying their best. But they're human beings, and therefore they're fallible. They make mistakes. The solution to this age-old problem, and we used to understand this intuitively, is more informed voices in the conversation. That's how you make wise decisions. That's how you get to the truth. Diversity of view. Facebook doesn't believe this. They believe in censorship. Censorship does not make us wiser. It does not make us better informed. If it did, we'd be speaking Russian right now. The Soviet Union would run the world. It would have worked. One of the uh, the main aspects of, of the feature he did was he pointed out several examples where, uh, for instance, Dr. Scott Atlas of the Hoover Institution, who we talked to semi-regularly, uh, he put out that, that video and transcript of an interview in which he was suggesting, listen, we need to weigh the costs of the lockdown in terms of health, uh, along with weighing the effects of COVID-19. They took down that video. It was perfectly, YouTube did. It was perfectly reasonable. And and Tucker's other main thesis was, look at these examples where the conventional wisdom about COVID-19, the, the lockdown, medications, uh, therapies, whatever. In March, the conventional thinking was X. And anybody who suggested other than X was removed, was shut down, was censored. And then when it evolved to Y... In June, the people who were saying why all along, now they got to post their videos. But then people saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. The latest studies say Z. Mark Zuckerberg shuts them down and kicks them out. Then in late August, it turns out Z was right. As our understanding's evolving in this thing, the idea that informed, responsible, dissenting voices should be shut down is obscene. And the actual written policy that these social media have, and, and they vary in the wording, but they are essentially, this is removed from running counter to the CDC and the WHO's uh, policies on the COVID-19. So if you dare challenge the, uh, and I'm not one of your alterna website conspiracy theory nut jobs, but these are responsible voices saying, listen, I think, uh, I think we need to do more studies before we say that's definitively true. They're shutting people like that down. It's just, it's, it's really, really bad.
And why is that happening? Well, I think it's partly because the the political left and the and big tech are just arm in arm. And the political left has, for whatever reason, taken very strong stances on the COVID. We've all seen that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the difference between blue states and cities and red states and cities and their policies are vast. Um, and so the, the, the tech giants want to be in lockstep with, you know, Nancy Pelosi and her crowd and Governor Whitmer of, of Michigan and, and that sort of person. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. This is why you're always late. And it's not your fault, it says here. It is your fault. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is your fault. But Let's hear out this article. There are, there, <laughs> <laughs> there are people that are that are psychologically more prone to it than others. Um, the idea that anybody needs more excuses made for their failings right. is crazy to me. This writer says, it's not "I my fault, Joe." This writer yeah. says, "I have a tendency to be late, but only to certain things. I rarely am late on a deadline or to an interview." I like to be exactly on time and not one minute sooner. However, I'm almost always late to a party, a meeting, or an appointment. And wondered why it was and look into this book late. A time bender's guide to why we are late and how we can change. Research shows, that's research, shows that 20% of the population finds it hard to be punctual. Uh, Time seems to work differently for those people in the way it uh, affects their brain. Hmm. Sometimes it stretches, sometimes it shrinks. Do tell. Um... I do like the phrase time bender. Right. (laughs) Some people seem to have a problem measuring time and typically underestimate by 20 to 30 percent. Yeah, I hear that. I have that. I know I know I have that. And my wife points it out to me all the time. I'll say, you know, I'm going to go get a pizza. It'll take me about how long she says you always underestimate how long it's going to take. It's going to take this long. Right. And she always has a much bigger number than I have. And I always think it's not going to take me that long. And she's always right. And I'm always wrong. But for some reason, I always think it's going to take me less time, and I have no idea why I would do that. You know when time stands still more than any other occasion? It's when your spouse runs into the grocery store to get one thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It wow. seems like they're in there long enough to fill a shopping cart oh my God. and, like, restock the shelves after they're done. What is she doing? <laughs> what the I, hell is taking you looking I, at your watch? I remember my dad saying that to us while we're sitting in the car when I was a little kid. She's probably talking to somebody. It's like it's like a hundred and thirty foot walk. The tomatoes are right there. Checkouts and Rebecca to the car. It's been ten minutes. I know. Uh, but I did think that was interesting. That perhaps, and it's not an excuse. You still got to figure it out. But maybe twenty percent of the population, for whatever reason, their brain's ability to anticipate how long something's going to take is is doesn't work right yeah you're probably better at something else yeah you know? oh yeah sure well um this is one i do try to fit in extra tasks just before the deadline because they feel uncomfortable with closure well, i don't know about feeling uncomfortable with closure but no but i do that all the time i'm like well i don't have to leave for three minutes let me try yeah. to jam this five minute yeah. task in yeah and then it takes longer and then i'm leaving a little later oh, than i anticipated that yeah. is weird i like the part up here about there's some things i'm never late for like I've my son has never been late for anything school related, mm-hmm. and he's always worried we're going to be late. And I always say, "Have you ever been late for it? Have I ever ever gotten you late for anything? No, not one time. And you're not going to. 
He never is late for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, Very good. Good parenting. Um, have a mental block about transition time, and as a result, regularly leave home around five minutes later than they intended. Oh, yeah. Subconsciously resist leaving into the last minute, shaving journey times to the minimum and not allowing for the unexpected or even the expected. Um, I, I, can't, I can't even imagine what goes on in a person's brain like mine with some things to where being there a minute early just seems like a uh, crime against humanity. You've wasted a chunk of your life. Which is weird. Now here I sit with no, nothing to do. No, you know what would be better is to be highly stressed for the next 45 minutes wondering if I'm going to make it on time. Breaking <laughs> traffic laws. would be much more enjoyable. Endangering your life and others. <laughs> Ruining my brake pads. Right. This would be much more enjoyable than if I got there in a minute early. Right. It's just weird. Yeah, I know what. It's probably um, deep in your genes. Time benders have a hard time breaking the habit. I don't believe we can ever free ourselves from the mindset. We can act out of preference, blah, blah, blah. Uh, m- mostly it's a recognizing that you have the problem and yeah, adjusting sure, yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah. It's a subconscious tendency. Once you recognize it, you can deal with it. It does throw in some of this stuff to, uh, you know, to say nice things about the people who are late. People who arrive early for meetings and events are often less productive than those who arrived a few minutes late, says studies. Well, and they're punished for old late Larry uh, yeah. screwing around. I say start every meeting on time to the second I agree. on time. I agree. Why would you wait? I, I don't know. It would reform people in a big hurry. Oh, and when oh they, no, the meeting started. Ooh. And when they walk in, mock them cruelly. <laughs> yeah. Call them out by name. And you know what we need to get from that to this? Transition music. Mailbag. Oh, I'm sorry, I meant to say, you're considering taking a hayride. Please stand down immediately. It's far too dangerous. Do not take a hayride until you hear the chilling story uh, we're about to tell you. Was the fly a Chinese drone? Well, yes. We'll look into that. Our freedom-loving quote of the day sent along by Justin in Cal Unicornia. From, from <laughs> he says, the late, great Benjamin Franklin, which is a, a very funny comment if you know the context. Quote, democracy is two wolves and a lamb voting on what they are going to have for lunch. Democracy, two wolves and a lamb voting. Liberty is a well-armed lamb contesting the vote. Oh, Amen to that, Ben. Ben boy. Thanks for the Postal Service, too. Fabulous. Is that a QAnon conspiracy or something? No, that's Ben friggin' Franklin. Okay. You, you stand down over there. Steve says, today's general manager, let it be the debate fly, please. No, Steve. Eric, the fly chose pants. Even filthy invertebrates know the winning ticket. <laughs> that's my favorite one. Wow. This from Jennifer. That fly, though. Oh, to be a fly on the hair of Mike Pence. Did anyone else stop paying attention when the fly made its soft touchdown in the soft white cloud known as Mike Pence's hair? Not anonymous Jennifer, refugee from California, Copia to the great land of Tennessee, but still a loyal fan of Armstrong and Getty. Thank you, of course. Well, we're nation-wide these days. We're on in Memphis. We are. What a great honor. Terrific. Working with some really nice people there, too. Here's a BJ's female spin on the Veep debate. Ashamed to be a woman. Two biatches on stage. Horrible. Had to turn it off. So please what? do a good review for us embarrassed females. Thanks, guys. What was that? Uh, she found uh, both the women's hard to take. 
I'll be older. I'm guessing you went in with a, a point of view to start with, though. Yeah, it's possible. You know, the women on the Trump hating channels, where every woman knows what it's like to have to deal with that guy in a meeting. So I think every woman in America agrees that blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Unless we, you went in as a woman not liking Kamala Harris. Right. And the uh, the phrase, the word mansplaining, was uh, was quite clearly the phrase of the day for Trump hating media. Kamala Harris. Whatever Kamala, that means. Kamala Harris <laughs> clearly won the debate, and I'll explain why. Oh, Lord. Mr. Oh. Vice President, I'm speaking. Uh, let's see. Oh, I, I read this from John. Um... Partly because we received a number of emails on this uh, of this sort, and a bunch of my friends via text were uh, watching the debate and, and, and texting back and forth and the rest of it. And I heard this sentiment expressed several times. Uh, guys, after that debate, how many Republicans would like to see Mike uh, Pence uh, tag in for Trump? Out front running plays with the clock running down. At least sub in for the next debate and move the ball forward while the tornado fully recovers. People preferred Pence's debate performance to Trump. Thought it was much more clear and persuasive and that sort of thing. But, uh, again, Eye of the Beholder. I Last night was the all-time Eye of the Beholder activity. I like Pence's substance, but I can't handle that style of po- political speaking. That uh, I heard people say it was a flashback to 2012, back when, you know, all politicians talked like that and have forever. Just that cadence, and I'll tell you what, the American Jack, the people, American I just, people. That style of speaking just drives me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> 